welcome to Women at Warp, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Join us as our crew of four women Star Trek fans boldly go on our bi-weekly mission to explore our favorite franchise. My name's Jera, and thanks for tuning in. Today with us, I have crew member Sue. Hi, everybody. And we have a special guest, Ontario. Hi. And uh, we'll let Anne introduce herself a little bit more in a second. But before we get into that, we have a bit of housekeeping to do. Our show is entirely supported by our patrons on Patreon. If you'd like to become a patron, you can do so for as little as a dollar a month and get awesome rewards from thanks on social media up to silly watch along commentaries. Visit patreon.com slash women at warp. You can also support us by leaving a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, so moving on to our main topic for today, which is pregnancy and childbirth in Trek. Um, And thanks again to Anne for joining us. Before we get into the topic, Anne, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into Star Trek? Oh, well, first, thank you so much for having me. Um, I am a writer. I'm based in Toronto. Uh, I mostly write about uh, feminism and history and mental health are my kind of topics. Um, I am the mom to an eight-year-old, so I feel like I am very qualified on the topic of motherhood. Um, And I got into Star Trek when I was 12, and I was having a really hard, lonely year. That year, I was having a really socially awkward, and all my friends at school kind of dumped me. And I made friends with this girl, Arlene Thomas, bless her, at our performing arts camp together. And she and her dad were hardcore Trekkies and I just got into it and I was very into it for like most of my teens and I'm still into it but not in like like I was like writing a lot of fan fiction into it I guess excellent (laughs) cool well um it is great to have you on and um yeah definitely Pregnancy and childbirth. Um, you're you're more qualified than either of us. Uh, so, but uh, we have lots of opinions anyway. And uh, I'm looking forward to some of these examples. Um, man, where to, where do we even start with this? Because um, there's a lot of examples and um, a couple sort of themes that emerged. Um, but maybe like, oh, can we even think of like, is there a really good example? Uh, I feel like Keiko's first birth is like a good example of a birth under terrible circumstances. <laughs> yeah, sure. Let's, yeah, I mean, let's start with disaster. I think that's a, like a one that a, a lot of people are familiar with. Of, like, you are now fully dilated. You may give birth. <laughs> um... Yeah, and I mean, Keiko even, I don't feel like we see a ton of her being pregnant, but but it's clear in that episode, um, the childbirth is a, is a pretty important focus. Um, how, how do you think Worf does as a midwife? I feel surprisingly well. Like, I feel like he kind of does what any of us would do, which is like, look up a YouTube tutorial and be like, all right, well, you know, this is fine. People have done this for a very long time. Like, I mean, not I, obviously he also panics, but I, I think, I don't know, he's, I definitely feel like there are way worse OBs out there than Worf. 
Um, one thing I like about this one is um, one of the themes that comes up and it's a, a pretty common trope in media is this um, theme of being like imperiled in childbirth or imper- imperiled in pregnancy. And it's often tied in with sort of like damsel in distress ideas or like somehow sort of like raising the stakes of a damsel in distress because she's pregnant. So, oh my gosh, like how awful is this bad guy or you know, something like that. But with this one, even though there's a degree of danger, they don't push it to, you know, for shock value. Like, it it still is a fairly, seems like it's fairly straightforward. And um, I like that Keiko's like, asserting herself with war. <laughs> um, and um, it's, it's more kind of comedic, um, if anything. Yeah, like, you're never worried that, like, oh, my God, the baby's gonna die, which is Mm -hmm. so often kind of, like, a trope in these types of things. Like, you know, probably everything's gonna be fine. It's more just, like, a fish-out-of-water kind of Mm -hmm. scenario. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, um, should we segue, then, to Keiko's second pregnancy? Um, (laughs) Since, uh, yeah, that one's, I mean, starts out as Keiko's and then, then becomes Kira's. Um, and that also has the peril issue because she's imperiled and that's why the baby has to be moved into Kira's body. But yeah, how do we, how do we feel about this whole thing? Well, this is very much, it's very interesting to me because in, you know, the real world out of universe, the production team had to deal with Nana visitor's pregnancy, Mm -hmm. right? That's why this storyline exists. So they built this in, which is the opposite of what they did when Gates McFadden was pregnant, which was just to hide her behind things and weirdly give her a romantic story while very, very pregnant. That would be the host. (laughs) So it's just, I, I wonder if they were like, well, it didn't work very well last time. (laughs) So. <laughs> well, but then they did it with Roxanne Dawson. They hid her as well. Mm-hmm. So Bellana's pregnancy was uh, different. That they hid her like in uh, an engineering coat a whole bunch during uh, her the actress's pregnancy. Um, and Nana Visitor actually said um, when we interviewed her a while back that one thing that she thinks has sort of changed a little bit for the better in Hollywood today is. Uh, that it's a little bit easier to assert your rights over having, over being pregnant on set and just, um, but because at the time she said she never stood up for herself and she felt like she had to work twice as hard so that no one thought she wasn't pulling her weight when she was pregnant. She would never like take a seat if someone offered her a seat and, um, that, that, um, it's not totally better now, but that's hopefully a bit of an improvement. I also kind of wonder how much of it is, like, a little bit of, like, lazy character development, like, in the sense that, like, it feels like part of the reason why they wrote it the way they did is, you know, it's supposed to be this trope of, like, oh, she was, like, a tough, strong woman who always thought she was never going to have a child and didn't want children, but then she has this, like, come-to-Jesus moment where she wonders if maybe she wants a child, and, like, we don't you know with Beverly we already she has a kid we know she like likes her kid I guess and uh (laughs) presumably (laughs) and and that she finds fulfillment somehow in motherhood but there's you know there's such that like mm, that weird idea that that cis women 
are need motherhood to fulfill them or, or mm-hmm. don't understand what fulfillment is until they experience something adjacent to it. And I, there is like a weird whiff of that with that, this storyline. For sure. It definitely felt like they were trying to soften Kira a bit with this storyline. Yeah. Um, yeah. Another thing that happens actually before even that piece, though, is in the episode Accession, I just remember that there's this, this is where Keiko announces to Miles that she's pregnant. And uh, basically, the, the subtext for this whole beginning scene is he's hanging out with Bashir, Keiko's been away, and therefore he has not cleaned their quarters the entire time because they have sitcom stereotype relationship. Mm-hmm. And um, basically, he's excited because Keiko's coming back and they're going to bone. But then Molly says, mommy's pregnant. And you can just see his face fall. And the implication is like, no sex for you, Miles. No more fun with your friends. And uh, it's just kind of really annoying (laughs) to the point that like he's really reluctantly doing all this stuff to support her. And uh, but like moping so much that she makes this elaborate pretense to make him feel okay about hanging out with Dr. Bashir. And um, just, yeah, I don't know, just a really kind of unfortunate attempt at comedy, but so dependent on stereotypes. Doesn't he also go through a who's the father phase? I don't remember that. Oh, really briefly, I think. um, Because she's been on Bajor? Yeah, 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 really, really briefly, but I don't think it goes anywhere super serious. But he does have some definitely weird um, issues with, uh, uh, like defensiveness about the relationship and feeling possessive so weird (laughs) i don't know that he actually thinks someone else is the father but he definitely is like oh you certainly talk about your male coworker a lot Mm -hmm. um yeah so then in the begotten is uh kira's childbirth and also some other some other fun stuff um we we learn that bajoran uh, Bajorans mostly give birth with the accompaniment of a midwife and some percussion instruments. <laughs> <laughs> and no pain. I, I kind of like that part. I like that you have to be <laughs> super relaxed. Um, I mean, because if you're going to make an alien pregnancy, it should be like semi-different. And um, it's kind of nice because it's often so associated with like trauma in media that you could have like this pregnancy that you just give birth by being super relaxed and you're flooded with endorphins like when i eat fries that's what i'm imagining so it's it's funny because i had the opposite reaction where i was like "Ugh, i hate this (laughs) (laughs) no not because i like love pain and trauma but because the it's it seemed like such uh it's exactly the arguments they make in the natural birth community Mm. that you can like have an orgasmic birth that you know (laughs) seriously it's a thing that you you experience like a two-hour orgasm while giving birth or whatever and that it's just because like evil modern western medicine has taught us that childbirth is supposed to be bad but if we just like rely on our bodies and and it's like very weird and like gaming of anyone who doesn't like Mm. manage to have an orgasmic natural birth that's true and it's possible that that's reflective of the like late 90s uh period that this was written in that that was sort Mm -hmm. of like a progressive take on childbirth of the time 
Um, but yeah, definitely some uh, problematic shaming elements in it. Um, but then uh, you had some other thoughts on the begotten as well, right, Anne? Yeah, well, I really, I really liked Odo's storyline uh, because I, I found like it was very kind of reflective of um, a lot of people's experiences of parenthood that they go into it feeling like I'm going to spare this kid from like all the trauma and bad things that ever happened to me. I'm going to be like such like a gentle parent and such a different parent from how I was parented and, and this kid will exceed me and have so much more opportunity in life. And, um, and there's that and kind of like the tension between that and then realizing that like some of the things that you're, parents did that you really hated or resented at the time maybe were necessary for your growth and and also but and also everyone is usually doing the best that they can with the information at hand and uh you know we're not always our our best selves or making the best decisions when we're parenting because you know we're tired and we don't know what we're doing yeah and I thought it was just such like a sweet reconciliation. And it's, it's so the ending of the episode is so sad. Oh, yes. Yeah, very much. Another um, thing that I just uh, forgot on Kira for a second is um, going back to the whole imperiled in pregnancy thing <laughs> in the darkness and the light where she is kidnapped after this guy kills a whole bunch of her friends. And then she's like tied to a big table or something and the guy is basically talking about how he's ready to kill her as soon as he can surgically deliver the baby because the baby's innocent but she's really guilty because of things she did in the resistance that's a really hard episode to watch (laughs) um i mean uh, the one thing that i do kind of appreciate about it though is that um i mean it's hard to see anyone go through that but they almost kind of treat it like the pregnancy is not necessarily the most important thing about it so they aren't like oh your friends are all dying and that's and it must be so much worse because you're pregnant um it's just kind of like this is just really bad period (laughs) um and then i like that she rescues herself um that's pretty cool it's just uh kind of a you know a couple weird moments of sort of body uh, horror or like fetishization or something that like be kidnapped by an evil guy who's going to cut the baby out of you is like super creepy. Yes. And it's another like moment where I love, I love how like aliens, we don't know how alien bodies works is just like such like a kind of great cop out that they use so often that they're she's like I'll ask for a sedative because it won't work on me because I've been taking these Bajoran herbs during my pregnancy and it's just like that's nonsensical but sure yeah who knows how Bajoran bodies work (laughs) exactly I yeah you she sneezed it out of herself (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) Sue did you have an example you wanted to talk about particularly I mean when I think of childbirth on Star Trek, the very first thing that always comes to mind is um, Kess in that, like, I guess weird alternate thing. Mm -hmm. Before and after. Before and after, yes, where she's um, giving birth, like, hanging from a bar. Yes. 
And um, I don't know why, but for some reason, when I first saw that, that has just stuck in my brain for the last 25 years. And that's like, <laughs> that is what childbirth on Star Trek is to me now. <laughs> um, Yeah, I just watched that one yesterday and it, we see her give birth and she's shifting through time and ending up in progressively further in the past. And each time she has no memory of uh what's happening except for from the future so she basically like shifts into her body giving birth which would probably be terrifying but she's just like (laughs) what's going on and paris is like you're giving birth and he's trying to take the baby out of her back and she's hanging from a bar in the shuttle i think and um but then we also see her mom give birth to her hanging from a bar or i guess like grabbing onto a bar she's standing up um yeah, I don't know. I didn't have any particular issues with that one, and I thought it was kind of, like, a neat way to translate it, um, but uh, still be, like, be alien but recognizable. One thing, though, really weirded me about that episode is that she goes back, and so her daughter with uh, Paris has married Kim and had their own baby, and you're like... How could you, like, okay, the Neelix cast thing was weird enough, but then how do you marry someone you saw be born when you were an adult? That's like Twilight. (laughs) It's because of their super short lifespans. It makes it totally okay. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, so weird. Okay. (laughs) But I I do think they did a really good job with the Okampa of making the, the pregnancy and childbirth situation alien. Like, I feel like mm-hmm. that's the most alien we have encountered it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, because we see in Elogium that in order to get pregnant, you get this, like, yellow stuff on your hands, and then you have to, like, bond with your partner and mm-hmm. stay, like, locked to them for a week. Yeah. I think. And um, and you only go through that once. Pretty big deal and interesting and alien for sure. And presumably then just, like, everyone knows what you're doing. Because you can't just, like, disappear for a week and not have anyone, like, ask questions. Well, yeah. Like. Yeah. (laughs) But I know we have a whole episode on Elogium and that a lot of the discussion was around how this is, like, an an analog for puberty. But at the Mm -hmm. same time, it's kind of for menopause as well. Because this is my one and only chance Mm. And they also, and also a, an yeah, analogy for, yeah, teen pregnancy. So this idea about, like, you should really think this through just because you can doesn't mean you have to. <laughs> so um, much. Although I've done better than that, I think. Um, another Voyager example I wanted to touch on briefly is uh, Samantha Wildman giving birth to Naomi. Um, mostly because this also happens in, like, a split universe situation And in one of the universes, the baby dies. And in the other universe, they save it via transporter C-section. Or, well, I mean, I guess it's not a C-section, but they transport the baby out of her. And uh, it's another danger situation. But I was curious what the thought is on uh, transporting fetuses out of women. If that were possible, wouldn't it be way easier (laughs) to just do that for everyone? Yeah. I feel like, I mean, I guess you could, because, okay, (laughs) one of the things with C-sections, why it's not ideal is that, um, 
as the baby goes through the vaginal canal, it squishes the amniotic fluid out of their lungs mm-hmm. and gets them ready for breathing. So, but I guess you could just transport the baby without the amniotic fluid in the lungs. I don't, I it don't seems know how. very specific when given that like sometimes they can't even transport people successfully on the ship without like <laughs> com badge on them. Uh, so it must be some really sensitive transporter. They do seem very stuck on like vaginal childbirth for people who like definitely don't have to have vaginal childbirth. <laughs> mm-hmm. Also, then they're just like, okay, and this ship's going to be destroyed, but uh, let's take the baby and Kim over to the other ship. And then everyone just has to be like, we totally pretending that you were always just here. You weren't replacing (laughs) your dead duplicates. Everyone just forget about that. Okay, well, um, let's maybe take a bit of a segue into a particularly notable example of cis male pregnancy. Um, where a, uh, crew member, um, it, who does not really have the biological ca- capability to get pregnant, uh, gets pregnant in Enterprise, which is the episode Unexpected. Uh, a- any thoughts on Unexpected? Yeah, I mean, they tend to give Trip all of the weird, difficult, to talk about stuff in Enterprise, don't they? Yeah, and this is only like episode three or four of the first season, so it's right off the bat. It's it's kind of Star Trek's junior. <laughs> <laughs> Except for that he doesn't know what's happening, so uh, it's sort of, you know, a darker interpretation is it's kind of making light of assault and also being like, oh, it is so hilarious, the idea that a man could get pregnant, even though, as we know, like, gender is not that stable. And uh, so it's unfortunate that it seems like, you know, even a couple hundred years from now, people are just going to find it so hilarious and emasculating that you could have a pregnant man. (laughs) Like, to the point that they, he has to, like, pull up his shirt and show the Klingons, the, like, sack where the the baby fetus is, and the Klingons are all just, like, pointing and laughing at him, and he's super humiliated, and it's going, really? I don't know. I mean, couldn't we just be, like, even a little bit more mature than today? <laughs> well, they also go through the, the very tropey, uh, ranks of he's hormonal went down in engineering and he's upset about this and he's mad about that because he's concerned for everyone's safety because he's feminine traits instinct you know (laughs) yeah yeah that happens also with cork in uh profit and lace but that's but like both like not a pregnancy issue but both sort of you know transphobic depictions and anti uh just depictions of that uh, devalue femininity and stereotype what it means to be pregnant. Um, the only other reference we get of someone who's not a cis woman having a baby in Star Trek um, that's notable is in DS9, uh, Bashir talks about a character named Vilix Pran, who is part of a species where the males carry young and then give birth through a process called budding. So seems like maybe sort of like a hydra. Mm-hmm. Mm. And at least that's treated as just kind of like, 
oh, how's Felix Pratt? Oh, he's great. And it's, you know, no one is making it like the center of a hilarious story. It's just right. kind of like a fact of something that's happening. Well, we got off it quick, but really quickly at the end of that Enterprise episode, Paul tells Trip that he is, according to her research, the first human male ever becoming, who, oh, who was right. ever pregnant. And right. just like, no. Uh, yes. <laughs> I know it was 2001, you guys, but this was still a thing even then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh. of course he has some tug-in-cheek response of like, just how I always wanted to get in the history books. So, uh, yeah. Unfortunate. Uh. Uh, should we go back to TNG maybe for a bit? Yeah. Yes. Um, we have a couple other examples. One is the child, which did we do a whole episode on the child? Yes, we did. Yes, because I had a song. I will not re-sing it. But <laughs> it was great, and you should go listen to that episode. But uh, I would like pretty similar to how Trip gets pregnant, and that he doesn't know it's he, that someone's trying to impregnate him. Um, and uh, yeah, she wakes up and she's pregnant. And uh, how 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 do we feel about the child? briefly Ugh. and since you weren't, weren't on our episode do you have do you have thoughts about it oh yeah it's like not a very good episode <laughs> um i mean it's yeah obviously like it's a, a depiction of assault uh you know troy doesn't know that she's being probed by this alien I don't even know how we describe it she doesn't know how she becomes pregnant but she is like very rapidly accepting of the fact that she's Mm -hmm. like yeah no this is uh, my baby and I'm gonna have this baby and I love my baby and uh although speaking of like formative birth scenes this one for me when I like I was like wow you can give birth in a stool that's wild like I don't know that (laughs) (laughs) that one stuck with me for some reason I must I can't remember how old I was when I saw it but it must have been like like an early teens and I was like well what the um (laughs) (laughs) and yeah like and this is also the first episode with Pulaski and I just feel like it's all a mess and everyone's like rude to Worf even though he's like rightfully points out that it's a security threat and he's not wrong yeah it is weird to have a conference over what happens with your fetus though (laughs) yeah yeah well, definitely people should take a listen to our episode on that because it is thorough and we go through all of the <laughs> problematic aspects. Well, um, there is, if you jump into the novels, I know mm-hmm. I do this a lot. There is another instance of Troy, of Troy being pregnant and it is a like incredibly difficult pregnancy. Yeah. And at the same time in these shared continuity books, Crusher is also pregnant. And she is like nearly 60, has no complications, and legit is leading a like rescue away mission on Pacifica, like third trimester. I want to say seven or eight months pregnant. And I I remember, I believe it was at a panel that people were like, what, how? And 
that uh the answer was that they the the authors specifically decided to make crusher's pregnancy so problem free to further uh give examples of how troy's was difficult and they weren't even in the same books yeah yeah they're barely like they barely overlap you're in the destiny series but um that's also i mean they excuse so much stuff with future medicine that you think they could have just been like future medicine right (laughs) (laughs) they're both humans nothing's complicated anymore but like in uh yeah the troy one is awful so because of her genetic issues with Riker, she first of all has a miscarriage that's really uh very devastating and then uh, because, but because, like, they sort of expect it to maybe happen once. No one really investigates the fetal tissue. And then she gets pregnant again, and they detect a fetal abnormality that's very significant and that the baby won't survive. And, um, she basically, like, freaks out because of her hormones and, I mean, also would be a very devastating situation. Um, But she refuses, even after the baby dies inside her, to let them take the fetus out. And um, they sort of warn that, or it's not, I guess it's dead, but like, or not dead, but it won't fully develop. And um, but it's growing and it's imperiling her health. And even though they're, they say, you know, we have a certain amount of time before this, this fetus kills you, um, she refuses flat out and everyone kind of reluctantly agrees. And then she goes on an away mission where she ends up stranded on a planet with the doctor f- from Titan who ha- has like, is sort of a reptilian type creature with giant fangs and claws. And, um, he's able to stabilize her by biting her stomach and injecting venom into her. <laughs> and then, uh, the magic people whose planet they're on, I think, save the pregnancy. Um, but it's so much devastation to go to. And the whole way through, it's like not very empathetic to her. So even though you can understand how awful that would be, you can't help just being like, wow, this is really dumb. Uh, because it just seems so incredibly stupid that you put yourself in that much risk. And then uh, the episode after, the doctor goes through some weird hormonal thing of his own and kidnaps Troy to save the baby and is, like, sort of holding her captive. And it's super weird. And finally, finally, she has the baby. And they name it Tasha. <laughs> the end. Now you don't have to read that. It's, um, it's Yeah astounding it is (laughs) which is such but that's also such like a common anti-choice argument i feel or kind of uh one of those stories that you hear that like you know the doctor said the baby was going to die but like i had faith in god and i refused to terminate the pregnancy and in the end i was right and that just shows you that like doctors just want to like kill fetuses you know what i mean Mm -hmm. I hear that a lot. Yeah, weird. (laughs) Yeah, it's definitely, it cuts different ways because either way, like, you don't really, um, you're not led to, to empathize with her choice, really. Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. you, you just more supposed to see her as, uh, she's someone who's like grief stricken and hormonal and can't really make a sound decision. And then turns out that she was right anyway because because miracle aliens 
<laughs> right, but she never really gets shown as having full autonomy. Like she's either, no, no, not you know, at all. yeah. So poor Troy, the <laughs> sigh. It's funny because like Troy's such, I feel like an interesting character when it comes to kids. Because you feel like like so, first of all, it's I don't know, kind of weird to me that like not a lot of people on Star Trek have kids um, mm-hmm. on most of the series. Uh, which I guess birth control is like great in the future. Um, but Troy's funny that she's, she's really kind of ambivalent on it. Like she seems like she seems and sometimes like she would love to have a kid if, if the right time and right person could ever come up. But then, then I, I, she obviously chooses not to have a kid in, in the series and the movies because she could presumably if she wanted to. Mm-hmm. So I just find it's it's interesting because you don't often see like women who are kind of like just ambivalent about motherhood could cut either way, like depending on how things fall. Yeah. And it's interesting. That's why it kind of surprised me that they had both of them have babies in the novels because that was something I just didn't even think was necessarily necessary for either of them, which is not to say that it's wrong, although weird how they did it. <laughs> okay. So birth control. Yes, really good in the 21st century, unless you're Cassidy Yates. Um, And we we talked about this a bit in our Cisco episode, but this is the one really weird thing where there's a remark that's like, well, someone forgot to get their shots or their injections this month that implies that either... Cisco is solely responsible for the birth control and for getting like inoculated against getting someone pregnant or that they both have to get the shots, which would be even dumber. Yeah, like it's like, how do you guys not have it's the 24th century? Like, this should just be so easy right now. How are there unplanned <laughs> pregnancies? Yeah, how is it worse than than in 2019? <laughs> They needed it for the story. Come on. <laughs> it just... Uh, I don't... I remember being a kid and reading fanfic where the authors talked about birth control implants. And, like, legit that it was in their arms. And now I see mm-hmm. the the birth control implants that we actually do have. And I'm like, yes, why? More of that, please. <laughs> <laughs> but it just... I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it, if Janeway would have got her injection, would she still have had lizard babies, though? <laughs> <laughs> oh, the lizard babies. Um, <laughs> but um, I feel like we should talk a little bit about the original series because we haven't at all. And um, specifically Friday's Child, which we also have a full episode on. Mm-hmm. So um, just to touch on it briefly, though, uh, this is the one with Eliane who uh, is the pregnant mother of the baby that could be the leader of the country of um, Muppet-clad barbarians. (laughs) How do we feel about Friday's Child? You know, we, we obviously talked about this more, but it still annoys me that she's set up as a I guess antagonist is the best word to use because mm-hmm. she's a woman who's not interested in having that baby. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I I know that's a very like 60s idea and it's unfathomable that like a woman could not want a, ba- a baby. Uh. But it, it just, it, it's so frustrating to watch. It's so frustrating that 
nobody listens to her and that McCoy finally is able to, quote, bring her under control by assaulting her. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The whole thing is just a mess. The original thought was this character could be really revolutionary because um, this idea of a woman not wanting to be pregnant and not wanting the burden of being at the center of this power struggle, um, that, that, that could be really powerful and diversify the roles for women. Um, but the way that it, and that was DC Fontana's idea, but the way that it came out was just more that, you know, yeah, she was brought around by like male violence and then by having the baby, it made her selfless. <laughs> yeah. Like I said, I feel like it's so often used as just like a lazy character development. Like how do we make a female character do something? I don't know, make her a mother or make her have a feeling about motherhood. It's mm-hmm. like, uh, like there are lots of other ways. Like I, I kind of like, this is probably a very poor comparison, but it's like the same way that I often feel like in a lot of fiction, like sexual assault or trauma is used to just like imbue a woman with characteristics instead of, you know what I mean? Or to like advance the plot or whatever. Yeah. Well, I mean that Troy, good example of both. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Um, but even, st- like, also, um, you know, Jadzia trying to get pregnant is another example of that. Like, oh, this will make it even sadder when we kill her. Mm-hmm. Same with Miramani. And then you add a miscegenation trope on top of that. Uh, or, like, that it's, sorry, a punishment for miscegenation that Miramani has to die. Um, and also because Kirk couldn't be seen as abandoning his wife and child. So let's get her pregnant and then kill her off to double the emotional punch. Ugh. It's like this is us, but in space. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yep. Another one that I watched for this one was the DS9 episode, The Quickening, um, which was really interesting. And I actually, I mean, hmm, it was it was complicated. Um, this is the one where Bashir realizes he's not God and can't just cure a plague on a planet in a week. And um, he's assisted by this pregnant woman, Ikora, who uh, has the, the plague, the blight, and wants to live for her child because her husband died and she hasn't felt hope since her husband died. But she will as soon as this baby is mm. in the world, even if she's dead. So that, like, very uh, self-sacrificing mother figure is very common uh, mm-hmm. trope and is a little problematic that like you only live for the in her case the men in her life um and um it sucks that she does actually die um but she is i still i think she has a lot of screen time and she is a powerful advocate and uh bears a lot of struggle and um goes against basically her whole community and ends up being right that you know, there could be a cure to this and refuses to be kind of defeated. I haven't seen that episode in so long. (laughs) Because of this, Bashir doesn't realize because he's treating her, but she's not getting better. And then when the baby's born, he realizes it's because the fetus has been absorbing all the medicine. And uh, well, that's sort of what he says, like that, you know, there was no drug in your system because it was all in the fetus. Oh, right. But it's weird that, first of all, he wasn't sampling the fetal 
uh, fluids um, because he clearly had the ability to do that. And you think it would be kind of basic thing to even just check because you also don't want to poison it. And uh, that he also seems to think that treating her is the same as treating anyone. So he doesn't seem to have any idea that maybe a pregnant woman's body could behave differently to other people's bodies when you give it medication. But then the baby's born, it has no lesion. So basically what he realizes is, I can't cure the adults, but we can vaccinate the unborn children. So we're going to give all the pregnant women this shot, and then all their babies won't have the blight. But everyone who's alive will still get the blight and die. So a little bit weird. Um, I mean, to to their credit, though, like, he's really not satisfied with that. And they show the end of the episode. He's still trying to work to cure all the people that are alive. Yeah. It's like, is it, like I said, it's very, been a very long time since I've seen it. Is it a very, like, heavy-handed, like, AIDS orphan? No, you know, I didn't get that sense. I think okay. there was definitely a, um, they were trying to have a bit of a conversation about assisted dying because there's sort of this uh, figure who's like, there's no cure. I just help people um, with their final send off and he's giving them poison to help them go to the afterlife. And it's not totally condemning of him because as soon as they find a vaccine, he's like, I will happily help mm. give out this vaccine to everyone. Um, it was more about about hope i think the vaccine thing i don't i don't think it was to do with aids but okay. the thought did cross <laughs> I, my I mind i do but remember I, I think- that theory from the like the late 90s as well so oh that's, maybe that's interesting uh, yeah it's possible like someone read a news article and that right. influenced it um but it's a, a bit different because you know they it's not like they stopped treating adults who mm-hmm. had aids um, but it's just that we can drastically reduce it if we can prevent it being carried to children. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's why I always find Star Trek is so funny because it also I feel loves to mix its metaphors, like <laughs> like yeah. it's this thing in real life, but also this thing. But okay, also can we talk about the moment in the Begotten when? Miles and Shakar have a fight <gasps> over who gets to see Kira's vagina. <laughs> yeah, that's hilarious. What did you What did you think about it? Well, it was like I. I mean, it's funny. I guess not what's funny, but what seemed very real to me was Kira was like, "I don't care. I just want you two to stop fighting. Like, I, yes, I do not care who sees anything right now. Like, I just want this baby to be born." Um. And I definitely remember having, feeling like I, I had lost all shame by the time my kid was born. I was like, I, you know, I, I had a C-section. Like, everybody has seen everything. So many strangers have, like, seen everything that, like, who cares at this point? Mm-hmm. But also, like, yeah, that weird possessiveness of, like, I can't let another man see my lady's beautiful flower even or... if his baby is coming out of it <laughs> yeah or i would be so emasculated yeah that's the like it's my baby it's my girlfriend like <laughs> like none like, of really? you get to see anything unless she says it's okay <laughs> yeah oh man they're the worst in that episode <laughs> i just i got no time for that With wow their little matching scarves <laughs> Oh, yes. Hilarious. So there's 
Um, one other one that sort of uh, I think is important to mention is Seska in Maneuvers mm. because this is a totally a different example on the of the uh, representation where it's like a woman being evil and stealing a man's semen so that he <laughs> she can have his baby because she, you know crazy ex-girlfriend um and it is i think pretty unfortunate yeah well you know women are always like trying to trick men into having babies to for their own fun and profit <laughs> to get them to stay yeah or come back or <laughs> for dominion over the delta quadrant whatever (laughs) many reasons yeah it's that's super weird and seska goes yeah it just kind of sucks that they had her be this super villain that i think had a fair amount of potential but then it's like let's hook up with the dumbest guy in the delta quadrant and carry off these like cartoon villain schemes Mm -hmm. and the and the fact that you know Chicote is chasing after her by himself because his masculinity is so injured by feeling like well you know because he has the sense of responsibility over the kid but also like he can't put anyone else in danger because it's his fault because he should have known better and he was a big man and should have controlled the situation. <laughs> <laughs> We've been doing that a lot this episode. <laughs> <laughs> So what would we want to see for a 24th century pregnancy? I liked how uh, the Q got pregnant. Oh, yeah. Or maybe it's just reproduced. I don't know if, if she was ever actually pregnant. Um. Well, I mean, they're gone for a while. Yeah. Um. But we, I mean, don't really know how the pregnancy happened. We just know how the mating happened. Right. Like, touch fingers and a light ball happens and you're pregnant. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, also just uh, quickly to mention that um, the only time that we actually see anything that could be termed as abortion on the show is in the uh, Up the Long Ladder episode of Next Generation where uh, Pulaski and Riker phaser the pods where the clone are growing from their DNA. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was supposed to be, or at least was interpreted as an abortion allegory um, by some people. So Hmm. just an interesting fact. Um, They did also consider blowing up the the Zindi hatchery. mm Mm-hmm. Oh, right, right. Yeah. Oh, and also um, we should not finish this episode before we talk about Bolana and the idea of genetically engineering your fetus. Any, any thoughts on that? The whole... I mean, it was definitely a timely story. I guess it's still a subject of debate about um, engineering your fetus, in her case, to look less Klingon, um, fearing that it would have the same experiences that she had mm-hmm. that made her very ashamed to be part Klingon. Yeah, definitely, like, a very tricky issue. <laughs> Well, like, genetic counselors have existed for a long time, way before we were ever able to change anything. So it's more for, you know, avoiding hereditary diseases rather than, will my child have a bumpy forehead? But (laughs) Right, but I think it's also so interesting that they're 
the more we know about genetics, the more obviously there starts to be some dicey territories about what we consider to be like genetic disorders. For sure. Does that yeah. Make sense? Yeah. Well, I mean, there's even like two examples in Next Generation where Jordy points out that like in Romulan culture, he wouldn't be allowed to live. And then also in the Masterpiece Society that they wouldn't have let him be born. And um, and then it's like his unique abilities that save the day. So that's definitely one of the the territories where um, it gets really fraught to start talking about uh, engineering a fetus. Um, they they sort of stayed away from that by making it purely cosmetic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think like, that's for sure, like a different argument than than talking about disabilities. But yeah, but I still don't. Like, they obviously weren't in favor of her doing it. No, in, I mean the um, it wasn't like well, it's relatively benign, so sure, why don't you give her a different color hair? Um, and um, I mean, I I really like Tom in this episode of um, how he says, you know, like. I'm not leaving you. I'm not leaving our baby. Um, and, but it, it, um, I guess if it plays into anything, it plays into the idea that, um, again, like pregnant women are overly emotional and mm-hmm. prone to making these types of decisions. Um, mm-hmm. it's a, a touchy topic and I feel like they didn't do a terrible job handling it. Um, they just, you know, obviously couldn't really thoroughly handle it either. Yeah, no, I thought uh, it's been, again, a long time since I've seen that episode. So I I don't have a huge memory of it, but I remember thinking it was like handled pretty well. And it's definitely something I think that's going to be become more and more of an issue as, you know, more and more people use IVF. And, you know, mm-hmm. you have these embryos that you can test for all kinds of things, not just genetic issues, well, genetic issues, but you can also test for sex or even like presumably hair color and eye color. And then, you know, mm-hmm. it is such like an interesting minefield. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause again, like, you know, don't necessarily want to imply that like natural is always better. Um, mm-hmm. But at what point um, do you say, well, this intervention is okay, but this one is not. Yeah, and I remember all these articles, again, from around that time of, like, designer babies, what's next, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm so I'm sure that was, was part of the inspiration for that scene, but there's there's definitely a lot of really tricky area when you get into messing with, with DNA. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know, I find it so interesting, especially, like, like I mentioned, like when it comes to sex selection, which I know is not what we're talking about, but like, you know, most people would probably be, uh, think it was like morally okay to like, oh, you have five embryos, you already have a son, you want a daughter, you choose the embryo that, you know, has XX chromosomes, which obviously doesn't say anything about gender, but you know, whatever, we live in a society that is very like sex to gender. Um, (laughs) But then, you know, there is, such a, a concern about sex selective abortion so it's I don't know I just find it super interesting but yeah I don't know it's interesting like I know in in Nova Scotia you're not even they they don't they won't tell you the baby's sex uh during ultrasounds you have to like pay for a private ultrasound if you want to find mm-hmm. out uh, there's a lot of places about, like that yeah 
Yeah. Um, a lot of places in Canada, I'm, I'm assuming in the States as well, that at least they won't until a certain time because they're worried about sex selective abortions. But there's some really competing evidence about how common they actually are and some really problematic racist narratives about them too. Totally. Um, so like not to say that it happening because when it does happen is okay. Um, but that people should uh, do some reading and critical thinking before jumping on a, a bandwagon. Oh, for sure. I I yeah. 100% don't really know much about what it's like in real life. Have never been pregnant, never intend to be. Um, but I have never heard about that. That that you can't that you're not told the the sex of your baby on demand. It, yeah, it might be more in Canada. Yeah, um, because I, it's like generally one healthcare system. Wow. And then you can also pay privately. And a lot of people do. They'll go to like a private ultrasound clinic and get like a 3D ultrasound or whatever. Yeah. And every once in a while, we get these stories in our media about how there's, you know, a rash of uh, sex selective abortions and these ultrasound providers are doing a horrible service by telling people because it enables uh, the disempowerment of women in certain immigrant communities. Um but um, again, like, uh, then there's usually a rebuttal that says, okay, but look at the statistics, because this, we don't actually know that this is happening to this extent. I mean, it right. makes complete sense. But I just, my mind is blown. <laughs> yeah. I also had a friend, actually, um, who's Indo-Canadian and um, went to the doctor, and she said that, like, because of these stories, too, that, like, <laughs> racialized minority women, white doctors particularly, I just assume they're going to seek a sex-selective abortion because they've read these, like, this, you know, alarmist stories and uh, said that, um, like, when she was pregnant, um, the doctor was, like, preemptively a whole bunch of times, like, you know, I can't tell you, right, because, like, your community gets these sex-selective abortions. And she's like, I was not going to do that. Wow. I know that there was, like, a whole thing in Toronto a few years ago where – they there was like a report that certain hospitals that serve certain immigrant communities weren't telling the sex but then like other hospitals were and it was like this wild imbalance of like yeah basically as as you said Mm -hmm. like depending on the color of your skin you get told the sex of the baby or not yeah that some people can be trusted with the information more than others. So I think if we're going into the question I asked before, which is like, what should a Star Trek birth look like in the in the United Federation of Planets in the 24th century? Um, then, um, yeah, one thing would be like similar access to information that you need to make the choices that are available to you would be would be one thing. So uh, a menu of information and choices. Definitely. And, um, you know, good access to choices about what uh, level of duty you want to take on while you're pregnant, whether you want to stay on very active duty, because some people want that, or whether you want to have like a modified uh, duty roster or whatever, that would be a big thing for me. Or hopefully they'd allow for leave. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I believe in... um... Voyager, there's some discussion of, I forget, um, I feel like we talked about this in the Balan episode, so mm-hmm. uh, t- someone can go back and take a listen to that, but um, uh, we talked about how, um, I think she goes back to work right away, but there's some discussion when she's pregnant about reducing hours. 
But I mean, both during the pregnancy and after the birth, that there mm-hmm. would be leave available and a, you know, reasonable amount to both parents or all parents. All parents. <laughs> if you're an Andorian, all four of you. Right. <laughs> um, or just humans in unique relationships. Um, I think, yeah, we, um, uh, you can have three parents on a birth certificate now. Is that across Canada? I, I think so, yeah. At the yeah. very least, like, I've heard of it in BC and Ontario. Yeah. So all all the parents <laughs> get the parental leave. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think what else. I mean, I guess, uh, you know, regular confidential consultation with your healthcare <laughs> provider. That's something in Star Trek they don't seem – no one cares about medical confidentiality. <laughs> Um, and I get that it's sort of quasi-military, so that, the, like, the doctor has sort of an onus to report to some things to the captain when there's something wrong with you. Like, they don't think you uh, you can perform your duties, but there really needs to be some kind of, like, middle ground where if this is not affecting your ability to perform your duties or if, uh, you know, you don't think it should be disclosed for whatever reason, that there needs to be some sort of middle ground of confidentiality. Agreed. And, like, doctors who actually, like, have a pretty firm understanding in pregnancy where how pregnancy works, like, e.g. Bashir being confused about the, all the medicine going to the baby or whatever. Like, it seems like it, they seem still very mystified by it in the 21st century. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd, I'd be fine with transporter births. Um, but, you know, again, choices, like, I think it, that people should be given the most accurate information and choices. For sure. Mm-hmm. So don't have, you don't have to have birth through a transporter, but you totally could. I'm down with that. <laughs> Although I don't know if I would trust Miles to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Carry Otherwise, it out. your baby's totally going to end up uh, in a transporter stream and... Or, like, or your baby's going to end up merged with Neelix. <laughs> worst. Worst oh, ever. You know what? There was an episode I wanted to talk about. Um, yeah. The one where Data has lol. Oh, right. Mm. Which I fi- feel like is such, like, an interesting look at, like, becoming a parent intentionally and by choice and not being... Uh, you know, a, a pregnant, going through pregnancy that, uh, I don't know, it's not really a surrogacy. I don't know what you'd call it, but like. It's a creation. Yeah. He builds, builds his child, but then also lets her determine her gender and her appearance mm-hmm. and learn based on what she's interested in, but also gives some instruction on what he thinks is valuable. I feel like it's interesting that the two people that we kind of see be the most thoughtful parents are Data and Odo, who Mm. both have, like, because they had kind of, like, this trauma from Mm -hmm. their own youths, and and they have these very kind of trauma-informed approaches to parenting, I feel. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is really interesting. And also, yeah, they were they were both sort of, I mean, not created, but raised by scientists who were trying to study them. Mm Mm-hmm. And and they both have this idea that they they really don't want their child to be something that's studied. They want their child to have this kind of more organic experience of childhood, which is a bad word to use maybe when you're talking about an android, but whatever. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it, it reminds me of a lot of the uh, sort of 
uh, scientific parenting movements of the like 50s and 60s where you had like the Dion quintuplets and these kids that were like supposed to be like some kids basically raised in labs of nursing students trying to like train the the scientifically best way to to raise a kid through their nutrition and physical activity and put on observation and then kind of the more like Dr. Spock rebellion uh, against some of those ideas and against more of the like isolating tough love stuff to more like nurturing parenthood and i think that's really exemplified in those kinds of episodes Mm -hmm. also have you ever heard of skinner's baby box which is kind of like not really it turns out it the cultural idea of it we have isn't what it actually was it wasn't just like a box that was supposed to raise a baby on its own but i find it very funny that his name for the baby box was the air conditioner spelled (laughs) h-e-i-r (laughs) that's fantastic okay i have to admit when you said skinner's baby box i immediately just thought i'm like oh god we're not talking oh no 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 okay never mind i um i got x-files characters mixed up but yes (laughs) also some problematic representations of pregnancy um but luckily (laughs) luckily we didn't have quite as much of the like sinister alien impregnation like i would i prefer the uh problematically comical yeah (laughs) yeah i'd rather laugh instead of cry (laughs) well any final thoughts before we wrap it up i don't think so i just want to say i think bev is a great mom she's my mom role model (laughs) yeah you know who would you want to be the attendant at your birth from star trek data yeah oh yeah data and the child is actually great he did a really great job yeah. Also, he's obviously never going to lose his cool, except for, you know, post, post-generations post data. I don't want generations and first contact yeah, data, no. unless like, he can turn off the emotion. Season trip. two data. Yeah. <laughs> and I did like the Bajoran lady at Kira's birth. Yeah. Yeah, she was okay. She's very chill. I feel like Kess would, would be good. Um, mm-hmm. She was good with the Wildman birth. Also, Picard would be so awkward, it would be hilarious. Like, probably more awkward than Worf. Yeah. He would use, like, weird euphemisms, I feel. (laughs) He'd get very embarrassed. (laughs) And you'd spend, like, most of your time trying to comfort him and be like, it's okay. We'll we'll get past this in our relationship. (sighs) You won't always think of this every time you see me, I swear. Yeah. Um, Dax probably would also be pretty good at being a birth attendant. Neat. All right. Well, thank you so much, Anne, for joining us. Uh, Where can people find you elsewhere on the internet? The best place to find me is on Twitter, where I am at Anne, A-N-N-E underscore Terrio, T-H-E-R-I-A-U-L-T. And uh, right now I tweet a lot about Harry Potter because that's what I'm reading with my kid. But otherwise, that's a good place to find me. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, your uh, Harry Potter analysis is on point. And uh, Sue. You can find me on Twitter at Spaltor. That's S-P-A-L-T-O-R. And you can find me on Twitter at J-A-R-R-A-H Penguin or at TrekkieFeminist.com. If you'd like to contact our show, we'd love to hear from you. We know we didn't cover all the examples of pregnancy and childbirth in Trek, so if you have other ones that we missed that you want us to highlight in a future episode, give us a shout at crew at womenatwarp.com or message us on Facebook or tweet at us at Women at Warp. We're also on Instagram 
And uh, you can also leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And for more from the Roddenberry Podcast Network, visit podcast.roddenberry.com. The Roddenberry Podcast Network, podcast.roddenberry.com.